Griner Talks about sustainability and transformation. A Griner podcast episode. How to change, how to create a sustainable future. That's what we're discussing here. My name is Alexander. I'm part of the sustainability team at Greiner. And today I'm talking to a true environmental hero. He pioneered the planting of trees on dry land. He achieved to transform millions of hectares of degraded soil. And eventually he won an alternative Nobel Prize. Famously known as the forest maker, let's welcome Tony Rinaldo. Thank you, Alexander. It's a pleasure to be with you tonight. Tony, it's early morning in Vienna, late evening in Australia. Where are you right now and how are you doing? I'm in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne and I'm doing very well, thank you. I'd like to start on a personal note. You have lived in Africa for decades and with your help alone in Niger, more than 200 million trees have been restored. But what do forests and trees mean to you personally on a personal level? Well, I, I guess there's a very strong emotional and perhaps even spiritual connection. I feel great peace. I actually feel more at home walking through or riding through a forest than I do in the streets of a suburb <laughs> or a city. I ride to work every day and passing the trees, it's like passing old friends. And it's very important. <laughs> They're always there for you. <laughs> 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 Have you had a ride to work uh, through the forest today? Uh, not today. I had to go f for a meeting a lot further, so I, I didn't make it today. <laughs> Tony, on a more general, on a more scientific note, why are forests so important for our world, for the planet? Well, Alexander, there's so many reasons. It's hard to know where to start, but just, just to list a few of them. They help to maintain biodiversity. They regulate temperatures and the water cycle. Forests provide oxygen and timber and wild foods. And on another level, it's a place for recreation and it helps with our emotional and even our spiritual well-being So on so many levels. And then if you look at the state of the climate, forests are critically important for both mitigation, drawing down greenhouse gases, but also adaptation, helping us to cope with already locked-in changes in the climate. Tony, I'd like to know about your incredible career as well, which I think has started in the 1980s when you came to Africa, to Niger. And I'd like to know what's your story, what's your connection to this country? Well, as a child, I had no connection with Niger itself, but I always had a love for Africa. And in fact, the very second book that I remember my mum ever buying me, and I asked for it, I must have done something right for a change, and she rewarded me. We went to the paper shop, the bookshop, and I asked for this picture book on Africa. So I've always had a love for Africa. Why Niger? I had a deep concern for people living in poverty and with hunger, And also I have this love for trees and I feel almost a despair, a grieving when I see forests that have been destroyed, land that's degraded. And so Niger fits all those qualities. Very poor, uh, massive land degradation, desertification. And so through the organization that I went out with, uh, serving in mission, they selected Niger for me to work in. 
And Tony, during your time in Africa, you have developed an amazing and incredible method called FMNR, Pharma-Managed Natural Regeneration. And that sounds rather bulky and rather technical, but it's an incredible tool. Can you explain in simple words, what is pharma-managed natural regeneration? Certainly. So when we first went there, we put a lot of effort into tree planting. You raise a seedling in the nursery, you cart it out to the villages and you plant it. In those harsh conditions, more than 80% of the trees died. And I was very frustrated. I was young at the time. I was ambitious. I wanted to make an impression, but I was failing terribly. And one day, driving my vehicle out to the villages, and I actually had a load of tree seedlings in, in the vehicle, knowing full well that most of them would die. At a certain point, I stopped. I was, I was actually reducing the air pressure so that uh, we wouldn't get bogged in the sandy track. And it just seemed so hopeless. I knew using these conventional methods, we would never have an impact And I actually, I tried so many things, different species, different methods, experimented. Nothing worked in a sustainable way. But at that point, I was ready to try anything. I threw up a simple prayer asking for help. And the strange thing is, I'd been traveling on this track for two and a half years, nearly every week, eyes open, but totally blind to what had been there all along. And on this particular day, I saw a small bush and it caught my attention. I walked over and took a closer look. As soon as you see the shape of the leaf on any plant, it's like a signature. And instantly I realized it's not a bush, it's not a weed, that's a tree that's been chopped down and it's re-sprouting. So this FMNR is simply select these plants that look like bushes, select the ones that you want to keep, reduce the competition. The many, many stems. So you might reduce down to just five stems and then protect it. It's as simple as that. But because a tree stump has deep, deep roots, you can imagine it's got all this energy, access to deep water. It can grow very, very quickly. So it, it was revolutionary. When I first learned about your work, there was this term that fascinated me a lot, the underground forest. So can I imagine it in a certain way that you are helping this underground forest to become a real forest? Definitely, definitely. It's there. It's willing and waiting and ready to regrow. And FMNR is more about stopping certain activities. Let's stop burning every year. Let's not plough every square inch of our field or completely overgraze land so that we give what's already there an opportunity to regrow. And I, I compare it to having a compressed spring. FMNR takes the pressure off and allows the spring to shoot up. So using this method and using the underground forests that are already there, you have managed to help nature to come back in very harsh environments, in dry environments, in even deserts. Do I understand correctly? That's correct. I, I put one qualification. Certainly I initiated this work, but the real heroes, the champions, are the communities and farmers themselves. So this is very much their revolution. And um, yes, yes, in Niger alone, 
the movement spread at the rate of a quarter of a million hectares per year for 20 years. And if you do the maths, after 20 years, there were 200 million trees without planting a single one. And for most of them, I never stepped on all of that country. Most of that happened because of the community understanding and then acting. I'd like to come back to the topic of deforestation, because you have mentioned this story that you were driving out into the desert with lots of seedlings loaded onto your car, and you knew that they are probably not going to survive in this harsh environment. Isn't that a general problem of planting trees, of reforestation, that you never know, will the trees actually survive? Is somebody taking care of them long enough and doing it right? Oh, oh yes, so particularly of tree planting in the harsher environments, typical losses could be 80% or more. And it's expensive, it's time-consuming. And you can imagine trying to get the community engaged, they lose, they get discouraged very quickly. So th this is why FMNR was a radical departure from standard practice. And it, it's almost foolproof because most of the trees are regrowing from existing living stumps with deep roots. You, you can have up to a hundred percent survival rate. So there's lots of organizations offering to plant trees and to plant trees in developing countries, in harsh environments. Is that something that you have to be careful with? Certainly, I would ask the hard questions. How many trees survive? And do the people have ownership of those trees? These are two critical questions that would give you an indication if your money is well spent. I'd like to know from a business perspective, what do you think about businesses that plant trees to offset their carbon emissions? Is that a cheap buyout or is that actually a strategy that is viable? Well, as long as those companies are absolutely committed to reaching net zero or even positive, because at the end of the day, no matter how many trees we plant or regenerate, we still have to get to zero emissions. There's no question about that scientifically. Is it a good thing? I think as long as it accommodates the needs of the communities who live on or near that land, they should be the primary beneficiaries. Even if we get to offset our carbon emissions, it shouldn't be done in such a way that it lessens their livelihoods or their access to, to the land. And we in World Vision, we've demonstrated that you can have a win-win situation of, of um, carbon credits in community forestry. So as always in sustainability, things are very much connected and quite complex. You can never look at one issue by itself. You have to look at the whole picture. Oh, definitely. And, you know, it's, it's to everybody's advantage to consider the needs of all stakeholders. If you don't, you risk your reputation. You do damage in the country that you work in. And if you do, your reputation will skyrocket. And you'll do so much good. The, the people in Ethiopia where we have our carbon project are so happy. And they've gone from a situation where many of the children weren't even in school. These days, quite a few parents 
have children who have uh, university degrees, they're headmasters, they're veterinarians and so on. Their life has totally changed because of a carbon project. So you also have to ask the hard questions and really look into the facts. Yes, yes. And, and I'm a great believer there's nothing wrong with making a mistake as long as you learn from it and adapt your practices so that you're always getting better and better. I guess you have made lots of incredible experiences in your entire career. What are some learnings that you take away and that you want to share with our listeners? Yeah, probably three key things. One, I'm an overnight success that took 40 years. <laughs> so what <laughs> I mean by that is it's very important to persevere and to be patient. And over the years, I had many failures, both personal and in, in the work, setbacks, opposition. But I believed in what I was doing and I, I kept going. I tried to learn from my mistakes and I kept going. Another lesson would be certainly appreciate your academic education and your textbooks, but don't forget to think for yourself. And this, this is a surprising thing. Sometimes we're so married to what we learnt in university that we can't accept what's clearly in front of us. So I, I would say observe, listen to nature, test your observations, even if it's completely opposite to what you learnt at university. And then the third one, and this one should be obvious, but all too often we ignore people. Listen to people and help people. They may oppose you at first, but eventually, if you're listening and responding to what they're saying, eventually you'll win them over. Tony, the Oscar-winning director Volker Schlöndorf did a documentary about your work and it's titled The Forest Maker. It came to cinemas last year. What can one expect from this movie? What's in it? Well, I find it a very warm movie and it's an encouragement. There's so much negative press about poverty and conflict and so many issues in Africa. This movie takes you right into the home of Africans who are making a difference in their communities. And uh, for me, it was a walk down memory lane. I got to go back to Niger and to reconnect with many of the people I worked with for so many years. So it's very, for me anyway, it was a very personal movie. But I think people enjoy getting a, a different view, an African view of life in Africa. So highly recommended to go to the movies, to watch it online and learn more about your life and your experiences in Africa. Yes, yes, you can appreciate it much, much better than by listening. As good as a podcast is, seeing it is quite a different experience. <laughs> in the movie, you are saying, and this is a quote that stands out, I think, You're saying, I'm convinced that with the right farming methods, Africa could easily feed the entire world. How so? <laughs> so, first of all, consider the current status quo. People are still plowing with a handheld hoe. So their productivity is extremely low. They're barely using any inputs. And for a large proportion of, it, of agricultural land, the soil is depleted already. Yields in Niger, for example, are as low as 300 kilos per hectare. Now, if you add FMNR alone, you can double yields and in some cases triple yields. 
What if we add to that improved seed? In some cases where water is accessible irrigation and better cultivation methods. So I, I don't know if I was exaggerating or not. Africa could certainly feed itself and it should have a significant surplus to feed many other nations. Tony, you have many different roles, and in one of your current roles, you are an advisor to the nonprofit organization World Vision. What is World Vision doing? What are you doing in a very short note? Thank you. So, World Vision, I've actually been employed by World Vision for 23 years now. And World Vision has come to a point of realizing climate change is real, it's not going away and many, many people stand to suffer. When they cast their eye about to see which activities we're doing and what's working, our, our current CEO here in World Vision Australia identified FMNR, and he said, this, we're going to really focus on this. We're going to have an ambitious goal. Let's restore one billion hectares of degraded land in a decade. And this is what this is the initiative that we've started on. We've selected four pilot countries in Africa, Ethiopia, Kenya, Uganda, and Zambia. And these projects will be along the model of what happened in Niger. They're not a standard start-finish project. We're trying to initiate people movements. We're trying to give this contagious beneficial virus, FMNR, feet so that it has a life of its own and spreads automatically. So I'm very excited. It's as if all the years of work, and I've been doing this for more than 40 years, all that's passed before is just preparation. And now the real work starts because one billion hectares is very, very large number. And what I said to our CEO is good and well, it's actually necessary. If we're going to come through the other end of climate change, It's actually necessary, but we have to do it with and through others. We can't do it alone. And he said, good. <laughs> <laughs> Tony, I have 100 more questions in my mind that I'd like to ask you about this impressive work. But as we are slowly coming to an end, I'd like to invite you to do a short word wrap with me, if that's fine for you. Okay, let's give it a go. <laughs> <laughs> so I will give you one word, one term, and you can reply with whatever comes to your mind intuitively. Okay. <laughs> First one is forests. I would say life. Forests are life. Wildfires. Destruction. Niger. Hope. FMNR. Uh, revolutionary. Australia. Australia is home. Australia is a lucky country. And Australia gave me the opportunity to do the work that I do. And last but not least, your message to the world. If you can only do one thing, then do it with all your energy. Don't be discouraged. Don't be put off by people who never give anything a go themselves and just tear others down. If it's in your heart to do some good for the world, then pull out all the stops, give it all your energy and go for it. Thank you so much for that encouraging and optimistic ending to our conversation, Tony. Thank you so much, Alexander. It's been a pleasure. And thank you everybody for listening. 
please make sure to order or to buy Tony's book, his autobiography, The Forest Underground, in your favorite bookstore. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast and have a nice day. Griner Talks, a Griner podcast. Subscribe now. Thank you.